You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Ogi Ogui, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. Praise the Lord. All right, Yeshua part three, the Logos of God. Praise the Lord. I believe everybody can hear me and you can hear me clearly. All right. Yeshua part three, the logos of God. Aha. Uh-huh. So we started this teaching series two weeks ago. And we first of all, two weeks ago, right? This is the third, third installment in the teaching. And we talked about the first thing we discussed was how Jesus is truly God and truly man. He is fully God and um, he's truly God rather. And truly man. And we called that, I don't know if you remember what I told you, um, theologians call that the hypostatic union or vera, vera homo vera day. Um, but there's a name for it and it is the hypostatic union. He is truly God and truly man. And then um, he is the author of our salvation. And because he is the author of our salvation, it explains why um, him being truly God and truly man became necessary. Do you remember that? Um, we read from Hebrews. We talked about how because we are flesh and blood, he shared in flesh and blood so that he can bring salvation. He can be the author of salvation and deliver those who have been held under the um, fear or the slavery of the fear of death. Are you getting this? So he is truly God and truly man. And today we want to do another teaching. And we've titled it Jesus, the Logos of God. And we want to discuss how Jesus is the Word of God. Pick your Bibles and open your Bibles to John chapter 1 from verse 1 to 5. John chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 5. John chapter number 1 from verse 1 to verse 5. Are you there? Many of you would recognize this scripture. I quote it every time before I start preaching. It says, in the beginning was the word. Amen. Amen. And the word was with God. And the word was God. When he said in the beginning was the word. The Greek word for word there is logos. And it does not mean written word. As many of you have heard before. That the rhema is the spoken word of God. And the logos is the written word of God. Not necessarily. The word logos is, for, is it's, it's, the, it's that word that you get the word logic from. The logic of God. And so Jesus is the character, the nature, and the thought process of the Father. Jesus is the character, the nature, and the thought process of the Father. This tells you that Jesus is our best chance at knowing the Father. Not just in his words, but in his actions, in who he was. He was a revelation of the Father. Are you getting this? So not just in his words, not just in the things he said. He revealed the father in more than his teaching. He revealed the father in his person and in the miracles that he worked. 
in the things that he did. In John chapter 14, Philip was with Jesus and Jesus said, and Philip said to Jesus, show us the father and it sufficeth us. And then Jesus said, have I been with you all this while and you don't believe in me? You have not seen the father. He says, he that has seen me has seen the father. However, he said, if you don't believe me for the words that I speak, at least believe me for the works that I do. And so not just in his words, but in his works, he revealed the father. Praise the Lord. The onus rests on Jesus to reveal the Father. Nobody else can do that. Praise the Lord. There's an interesting scripture I want us to look at. John chapter 1 verse 18. John chapter number 1 verse 18. We're going to look at two of them. John chapter 1 verse 18. Are you there? John 1 18, please. Now, everybody read John 1, 18 together, one to go. He says, no one has ever seen God, the one and only son, the one who is at the father's side. He has revealed him. What was the first line? No one has ever seen. Is that true? How about Moses? How about Enoch? Or Elijah? What about these men? I mean, you have Moses who, um, you know that story? When Moses said, show me your glory, and we sing that song so much now. Or we, we pray that prayer, Lord, show me your glory. This was Moses hiding in Mount Horeb or whatever mountain he was hiding in. And he said to God, show me your glory. And the Bible said that God responded to Moses. I said, I will pass by you in all my goodness. And then you've heard the story. So God put Moses in one cave. Then God was passing. Then God covered Moses' eyes. Then he passed. Then he removed his hand. Then Moses saw the back of God. Have you heard that story before? If that story is true, then Jesus lied. Is that true? There's another one. Jesus made another interesting statement. John chapter 3 verse 13. I mean, you heard how that Elijah, God, boy, oh boy, he was so anointed. The prophet of prophets. So anointed that when it was time for him to depart, this guy did not depart by dying. No, no, no. That's too normal. The one who called down fire from heaven cannot just die. I mean, a chariot of fire came down, but it was not the chariot that took him away. After the chariot came, a whirlwind came and Amazing guy. Just checked into heaven like that. I mean, imagine the angels when he was stepping in on the whirlwind. Other people would die and wake up. But no, not Elijah. He just stepped in. Or Enoch. A lot of us who are truly desirous of a relationship with God, we've said to ourselves that, oh, God. How close was Enoch with God? The Bible says that Enoch walked with God. And he was not forgot to kill. I. And many of us were like, Kai, I just want to check out like Enoch checked out. You don't die. That you are, you are so, you know, I've heard preachers say this, that his relationship with God was so sweet to God that God said, I cannot take it anymore. I just, God just took him away from the earth. <laughs> John 3.13. Everybody read together. One, two, go. 
Say Jesus does not read his Bible. Eh? <laughs> this was Jesus speaking now, wasn't he? So what about Moses? He said nobody had ever seen God, but Moses had. I mean, Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights on the mountain with God. Then came down with the Ten Commandments. Then broke it. Then went back. And when he, you know, you've read the stories. You've seen, did you ever read my book of Bible stories? Raise your hand if you did. God was holding Moses' hand. So it was God's hand right eye. You know, these men were deep people. But then Jesus comes and says, no one has ascended to the Father. No one ever saw God. What happened to Moses? What happened to Elijah? What happened to these people? You see, because as it is now, it was then. The veracity of their claims was backed up by the fact that they had proximity to God. What I'm trying to say is people believe them because they claim to have seen God. Is that true? It's like today, if I come and if somebody says something to you, you're skeptical, then he says, God told me, and they're like, hmm. On one hand, you was like, hmm, get out. On the other hand, you was like, what if God actually said? Did Moses, let's take a, brief, a, a detour. Did Moses actually see God? Who gave Moses the law? Because it was at the instance of the receiving of the law that Moses saw God, right? Now, Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 7, verse 38. It's good to read your Bible. Acts chapter 7, verse 38. We're going to do a lot of Bible opening today. Um, So please try to keep up. Everybody read Acts chapter 7, verse 38 together. One, two, go. He is the one who was in the congregation in the desert together with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our forefathers. He received living oracles to give to us. Who did he receive living oracles from? First of all, who is this he? Moses, right? Who did he receive living oracles from? Angels, right? All right, verse 53. Are you there? All right. Everybody read verse 53, 53 together. I want to go. You received the law under the direction of angels and yet have not kept it. Again, who gave the law? Okay, so who held Moses' hands? Ooh. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. All right, he says, why the Lord then, he says, it was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise was made would come. He says, the law was ordered through who? Angels by means of a, who was the mediator? Uh Aha. So when Moses cried, show me your glory. And then, a being passed by him and hid him in the cleft of the rock and passed. And he saw the back of that being. It was an angel he saw. No man had ever seen God. Now, this is an interesting thing. Who reported to us that Moses saw God? Okay. 
Okay, but pastor, how about Elijah? He was taken up into heaven. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 11. And there's a reason why I'm doing this teaching. Oh, I'm taking this detour. This is not actually the teaching. I'm just taking a detour to establish this in your minds because these seem to be um, touch points of error when people read their Bible. So they will say, the Bible is not adding up. Jesus said, no man had ever ascended into heaven. Yet Elijah did ascend into heaven. What up? So I'm trying to make sure that now that I'm on the topic, let's just talk about it and then move through. 2 Kings 2.11, it says, As they continued walking and talking, a chariot of fire with horses of fire suddenly appeared and separated two of them. Then Elijah went up into the heavens in the whirlwind. Yes, pastor, Jesus was wrong. But then you now read 2 Chronicles I want you to open your Bibles. Actually, immediately, hold on, don't project yet. Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse, 20, um, verse 12. Second Chronicles 21, verse 12. Open your Bibles. Are you there? If you're there, say praise the Lord. If you're not there, say hallelujah. All right, hurry up. Are you there now? All right, immediately, please project Second Chronicles chapter 21, verse 12. Second Chronicles, chapter 21, verse 12. Everybody read Second Chronicles, chapter 21, verse 12 together. One, two, go. Then a letter came to Jehoram from Elijah the prophet, saying, This is what the Lord God of your ancestor David says. Because you have not walked in the ways of your father Jehoshaphat, or in the ways of Asa, king of Judah. Just stop there. I just wanted to show you something. So this letter came from Elijah to Jehoram, right? And Jehoram was the son of Jehoshaphat. Is that true? Now, when Elijah was taken up in a whirlwind, if you, if you do, it's in the Bible, like if you just connect the dots. The king at the time was King Azariah. A-Z-A-Q-Q-X-1-2-3. So his, his name was Azariah or Azariah or Azariah, whatever you want to call him. And the person who succeeded him as king, was Jehoshaphat. And then the person who succeeded Jehoshaphat as king was Jehoram. Now, Elijah went to heaven when, you know, Asa was king. But then wrote a letter from heaven to Jehoram <laughs> in Second Chronicles chapter 12 of 21. So you see, that actually, what actually happened was that a whirlwind took him up into the heavens. Now, when the Bible says heavens, it doesn't mean heavens, like where God lives, of which we don't even know that God lives in heaven, you know. It means, it could mean one of many things. It could mean, it could be figurative, first of, first of all. It could be figurative, um... Um, so, for instance, you read Paul talk about the third heavens. He, that's not, there are not three heavens. It's not like heaven, then heaven, then where Paul was talking about. It was figurative, all right? And then it could also mean the sky. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible talks about God creating the heavens. And it said, um, the birds of the heavens. It says, let them fly in the heavens. So, it could mean the sky. 
So when Elijah ascended into the heavens, it was the sky he ascended to and descended somewhere else. Because the law of gravity says whatever goes up, except it's the Holy Ghost that's taking you up on the last day. Amen? Amen. So, so, Jesus was correct. No man ever saw God. Is there a reason why we don't have sound anymore? All right. Praise the Lord. Sounds off. All right. Jesus was correct. No man ever saw God. But it was the Father or the one who came from heaven that revealed him. Are you getting this? So if you want to learn about God, you don't look to Moses or Elijah. And as I teach further, you would see why I highlighted these two people. All right. Now, this is something else that you need to learn or something else that you need to understand about the way Moses and Elijah left or the way the stories of Moses and Elijah were concluded in scripture. They mirrored the conclusion of the story of the son of God. But I will explain that. I will explain that later. So, the, the whirlwind taking Elijah up into the heavens was for a purpose. Do you understand? It was for a purpose. It wasn't just so that we know Elijah was a great man of God. It was for a purpose. But if you are going to learn about God, you don't look to Moses. You know, you hear people say, sing songs like, give me that old time religion. Or you hear people sing songs like, um, power as of old. Descend down, break the yoke, and uh, the captives of the mighty. That song is a very wonderful song, but then. And there's some people who pray prayers like the God of Elijah. You need to understand that the revelation of God in Elijah is limited. Are you getting this? The revelation of God in Moses is limited also. Praise the Lord. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 to 3. So let's begin the teaching properly now. Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 1 to 3. Ah, It says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different seasons or in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So he said a couple of things by his prophets in different times and in different ways. Which means that per time, he spoke in a particular way. Which means that per time, the truth was revealed to an extent, but not the fullness of it. Are you getting this? This is why Jesus, while Jesus was on the earth, this is why he spoke in parables. Because the culmination of all the several ways, all the several ways at all the several times was to culminate in the work of Jesus. Do you understand? When Jesus came and finished his work, everything God was trying to say was said. Do you get this? So you see a sense of finality to the revelation of God in the ministry of Christ. Praise the Lord. So he says, in these last days, that is in these final times, not in the end times, so when he says in these last days, he's not referring to at the end of the world. No, in these last days, meaning he had spoken long ago to the um, fathers by the prophets. But now all that speech is coming to an end. Amen. And where is it coming to an end? In Christ. 
Praise the Lord. Is there a reason why this keeps tripping? Can you hear me from the speakers? Exactly. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And all of that, um, all, all he said in the Old Testament found their fulfillment in Christ Jesus. So he says, um, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heirs of all things and through whom he made um, the universe. He says, he is the radiance of his glory, the exact expression of his nature, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. He says, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty. So in Christ, you discern the exact character of God. Everything God wanted to reveal about himself was revealed in Christ. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so when you read John's gospel, for instance you realize that John was trying to draw your attention to this fact. So, John chapter 1 verse 15. John chapter 1 verse 15. We're going to read verse 15, verse 26 and verse 27. John chapter 1 verse 15, verse 26 and verse 27. Praise the Lord. Media team, what is going on? John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 15, verse 26, and verse 27. Praise the Lord. John chapter 1, verse 15 says, John chapter 1, verse 15 says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spoke, that he that cometh after me is preferred before me. Now, in scriptures, you will read that of all the prophets that existed before John the Baptist, John was the greatest prophet of all. Is that true? Yes, sir. Now, John himself, the prophet, the Baptist, said about Jesus that Jesus is mightier than him. Jesus is preferred above him. So, not only is Jesus' position as the one to whom all the prophets have been pointing, greater than the work of John. But Jesus' teaching ministry is greater than the teaching ministry of John. Are you seeing this? So, Jesus, as a teacher, revealed more about the Father than all the prophets in the Old Testament put together. Verse 26. John chapter 1, verse 26. It says, John answered them saying, I baptize you with water, but there standeth one among you whom you know not. He it is who is coming after me. He is preferred before me. Whose shoes I am not worthy to tie. Um, whose shoes I'm not worthy to unloose. Now, John in, now, if you now go further to John chapter 3 verse 30 to 33, John says this. I have to, I have to move fast because I have a lot to say. John was speaking and he said, he must increase 
that I must decrease. Listen to me. Everybody look up, listen to me. In your life, let every other person's ministry decrease in the light of Jesus' ministry. Are you getting what I'm saying? Every other ministry must decrease in the light of Jesus' ministry. He says, he must increase that I must decrease. This was John speaking. So he understood that as it, as it relates to Jesus' ministry, my ministry must take second place. You know, it is, it is a problem if as a Christian, I tell you, Jesus said so and so. And then you now say, but what of when Elijah said this? Or what of when... has revealed. Now, you read further. He says, he that cometh from above is above all. He that is earthly, um, he that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from above, um, cometh from heaven is above all. Moses was earthly. Moses spoke from the earth. Elijah was earthly. Elijah spoke from the earth. Um, so you would see Jesus many times. He would correct the things Moses said. Do you know how ridiculous that is? That Jesus will say, it has been written. Do this, do this. One time um, he said, he was quoting from Deuteronomy, I think 18, 19, where he said, it has been written, love your, um, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. That was what Jesus said. He said, but I say unto you, love your neighbors as yourself. You know, you know the amount of authority you, you have to have to say they have said what I'm saying. And this day you are talking about is scripture. Because in the light of Jesus' teaching ministry, every other teaching ministry is a joke. Are you hearing what I'm saying? In the light of Jesus' teaching ministry, every other teaching ministry is a joke. And when I say teaching ministry, I'm not just talking about the words that he spoke now. I'm talking about actions because in the Bible, teaching wasn't just done by words. Teaching was done in actions also. Um, symbols were given. In the light of every other teaching ministry, Jesus' teaching, um, in the light of Jesus' teaching ministry, every other teaching ministry is a joke. It, it pales in comparison. Praise the Lord. So you read Exodus chapter 34, um, verse 24 to verse, 30, um, verse 29 to verse 35. We're not going to open it. I just want to paint a picture to you. You know, as Christians, it's easy for us to down, downplay the work of Moses. But think about it, that the children of Israel were sold into slavery. And for a long amount of time, these people were in Egypt, 430 years to be precise. And then God says, I will raise you a savior. Huh. If you were born in that time and your mother said you are the savior, no pressure. <laughs> huh. Some of you, you feel performance anxiety when they ask you to come and explain something in class. Just to come and, ex and it's even worse if 
you are the only one that knows it, and if you explain it wrongly, everybody else will fail because of you. Now think about the fact that three million Jews depended on you for their freedom. And so God said, I will be your savior. And listen, God confirmed Moses' ministry. Many mighty works. And that's the thing about God. When he calls you, ah, the miraculous will confirm it. Many mighty works. And so, in fact, from the beginning, the call itself was miraculous. This man was passing by in the mountain. He had just killed somebody. He was on the run. He was a fugitive on the run from the highest powers that be. And then he's in this mountain. And then suddenly he sees fire burning somewhere. So he goes to look at what is going on. And what does he see? A bush that is on fire, but is not burning. Boy, oh boy. Now he gets close. And a voice from the bush said, take a step backward. Where you are standing is holy ground. Take off your shoes. And then Moses is like, my God. I mean, imagine if you were there. What would your response be? First of all, I will run. Because bushes don't talk normally. So I'm going to run. God would have said, come back, come back, come back, come back, it's me. Because I would have gone far. <laughs> right? So this man, he goes to this bush. And then he has this great encounter. And then God takes him. And for 40 years, we don't know what he's doing, but we know he's being trained. Then God gives him a staff. Then he takes this staff to Pharaoh's people. And God says, you know, when God was giving him the staff, you know, it's not like the staff fell from heaven. It was just a regular stick. It, just, it was like, look around you, pick a stick. He picked it up. Then God said, throw it down. He threw it down and it turned to a snake. Yeah, thanks. I'm not doing it again. Then God said, pick it up. The man was brave. God called him. Put, he, put, he put his hand at the, at, the, at the tail of the snake. And if you know anything about snakes, you know that's, that's a very dangerous thing to do. <laughs> Picked it up from the tail and held it. And the thing turned back to rod. He said, my God. Then God said, go and do it in front of Pharaoh. Now, this is not just you and God now. This is you in front of the highest authority in the world at the time. Pharaoh was seen as a God. Do you understand? You must have performance anxiety, oh. Now, what if I drop this and it does not turn to snake? I just go there, drop it. And I feel like, is that what you came here to do? <laughs> now, this guy was a fugitive. He was on the run. And God told him, go back to the people that are pursuing you and go and drop rod. I let it turn to snake in front of them. Then tell them, let my people go. See, Moses was, he was a principality. He was a government. So let us not, let us not downplay this man's ministry. That Moses stood in front of the river now, struck the river now and it turned to blood. Ha! That's somebody you don't cross, especially when he's holding that stick. Because it's multiple, but he gets to flog you. (laughs) And so something happened. He finally got the Israelites out of Egypt. And these people are journeying into the promised land. They didn't know where it was. And they were going through the wilderness. And then at one point, God just told Moses, you know what? The journey is young. Come aside, let me talk to you. And then he went up and he spoke with God and received the law. And when he came down, if you read Exodus chapter 34, when he came down, the Bible says that his face 
was so radiant that people could not look at his face. Like his face was shining that people could not look at his face. Now, what was the radiance for? The radiance was God's attestation to the ministry of the law. Do you understand? See, I can go somewhere, get a stone, carve ten commandments on it, and come down and say, God told me I should should tell you people this. And people will say, we don't believe you. But if I come down with a slab, with ten commandments, and my face is shining, and I said I was just with God. You say we believe. It's, it's, it's evident. In fact, if, if you told us any other thing, we wouldn't have believed you. If you say soap that I use, I say, give me the soap. Cut soap for me. <laughs> the radiance of Moses' face was an attestation, God's confirmation to his ministry. But now, you read Something else in Matthew chapter 17. You know, in scripture, there were three people whose faces shone. Um, Moses, Jesus, and Stephen. Stephen's own, not so important. Stephen's own was different. And I wish I have time to explain it to you. But um, basically, Stephen's face was shining as, um, as um, a manifestation of his death that was about to happen. But that's, there's a whole teaching that I can't do right now. But two people who significantly had their faces shining were Jesus and Moses. So you go to Matthew chapter 17. Let's go there. Matthew 17, 1. We're going to read from verse 1 to verse 6. Media team, I'd like you to put that up very quickly. Matthew chapter 17, verse 1. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It says, and after six days, Jake... Can you give me the HCSB, please? Why do you guys keep punishing me with KJV? After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother, John, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. Now, next verse. He says, and he was transformed in front of them. And now, not only did his face shine, that they couldn't look at it, it shone like the sun. But this is the interesting thing. It wasn't just his face that was shining. What else was shining? He says, even his clothes, because he was as white, um, even his clothes became as white as the light. So you see God doing something here. You see God effectively comparing between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of Moses. Are you getting this? Moses received the law and he came down from that mountain and his face was shining. And people were like, my God, this guy must have been with God. He must really know what he's talking about. But then Jesus has finished his work or is about to finish his work. And now he doesn't come down from a mountain. He goes up a mountain. And what happens? He begins to shine. Not just his face, but his entire body was shining. So he outdid Moses in what he was doing. Next verse, please. Okay, thank you. He says, suddenly Moses and Elijah appeared. I mean, think about it. At this beautiful moment of Jesus' ministry, two important people appeared before him. Moses representing the law and Elijah representing the prophets. They appeared before him and they were talking to him. What they were saying, we don't know. I guess the conversation was going like, boss, we hear low. Now you shine past who? After you, now you. I fear who no fear you, but that's not the point. Then Peter said to Jesus, 
Now, just imagine this. You grew up as a Jew and you heard about Moses. You heard about how he split the Red Sea. You heard all these wonderful things that Moses did and you're like, boy, that guy was powerful. Then shortly after, you started to hear about Elijah. You know, Elijah was so powerful that he called 450 prophets of Baal, 450, was it 350 or 450? 450, good. Now, he took them to a place and said, you know what, let's do a contest. He was the one that initiated the contest, not them, him. It's not like they came to look for trouble. He went to look for it. So let's do a contest. See sacrifice. I'll have my own sacrifice. Let's call down fire from heaven. The God answers by fire. Let him be the true God. And these people started to do their things and they were cutting themselves. And he hadn't called down his own fire. He was laughing. He said, cut harder. Maybe Baal is sleeping. Maybe he's in the toilet. You know, there's a way you've been in the toilet. They are calling you. You know, yet call him harder. He said, ah. And then when it was time for him to call down his own fire from heaven, this man looked at the, he looked at the sacrifice and said, this is too easy. Pour water. They pour, pour more. You know what? Offload everything. Pour it inside here. Then he called down fire from him. And guess what? After he called down the fire, do you know what he did? He chased all of them and killed them. <laughs> so you are a Jewish boy. These are your superheroes. And they are right in front of you. You will respond like this. Lord, it is good for us to be here. <laughs> He said, if you want, I will make three tabernacles. <laughs> Peter was a fisherman. But he will learn tent making immediately. He said, I will make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Next verse. And while Peter was speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son. He says, I take delight in him. What's the next line? Moses was standing there. Elijah was standing there. God said, I prefer this person. Are you getting this? That, oh, Moses came down, his face was shining. I mean, they looked at him and said, what soap do you use? But then Jesus stood on that mountain. Moses stood before him. Elijah stood before him. And Jesus was glowing so much that he didn't notice Moses' own shining. Are you getting this? And then when Peter started to fanboy out and say, let's build tabernacles, one for you, one for them. Don't worry, don't worry. We'll worship three of you equally that we will love you as much as we can. Don't worry, Jesus, we have not forgotten. We are still loyal to you. But this is Moses and this is Elijah. And then as, they were, as Peter was still fanboying, God said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You see, God chose that in Christ, the fullness of God will be revealed. Not in Moses. Not in Elijah. And so Peter and Paul rather, who interestingly wasn't here, does a commentary on Matthew chapter 17. Where did he do this commentary? Second Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read from verse 11. Now, remember last week I taught you that there is a difference between information and observation on one side and revelation on the other side. Information and observation will lead you to know what has happened. Everything I've just done is information up until now. But revelation is when you start to see the information as effective in your own life. Are you getting this? Now, look at this. Second Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. When I did 4 handle. I said, look at this and it's Matthew that was there. Now, it says, for 
if what was fading away was glorious, um, can we start from verse 7, not verse 11? Thank you. All right. Now, if the ministry of death chiseled in letters on stones. Now, when you think about um, um, the phrase chiseled in letters on stones, what do you think about? The Ten Commandments. Remember that? that he came down with two stones. He broke the first tablet. Moses was the first person to break his iPad. He broke the two of them. He broke his, his tablets and then went back and collected more. Right? So he says, if the ministry of death chiseled in letters on stones came with glory, what did he mean by it came with glory? When Moses came down, there was so much glory. This guy was shining. Hallelujah. Yeah, he says he came with glory so that the sons of Israel were not able to look directly at Moses' face. He says, because of the glory from his face, a fading. Next verse. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? On what basis was Paul saying this? It had already happened. Jesus already outshone Moses. Did you get this? He already outshone Moses. But next verse. It says, for if the ministry of condemnation, that is the law, had glory, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more. So listen. Hi. Remember, information is that Jesus is more glorious than Moses. Revelation then tells you that everything Jesus brought is more glorious than everything Moses stood for. And everything Jesus did for me is more glorious than everything Moses did for me. What did Moses do for me? He gave me the Ten Commandments. What did Jesus do? He died. His death is more glorious than the commandments. Are you getting this? So he says, if the ministry that brought condemnation has much glory, he says, the ministry of righteousness overflows with even more Glory. Next set of verses. I mean, next verse. He says, in fact, what had been glorious is not glorious in this case. So Moses would have brought his shining face and stood right next to Jesus and it looks like Moses was normal. Do you get what I'm saying? If you don't understand, think about how you feel when your salary comes and you feel rich. Then you open YouTube and you see YouTube caption like, I want to see how strong an iPhone 12 is against a 10-ton hammer. And then they carry hammer and they're breaking iPhone 12 that you don't have. Yeah, so your wealth is not, you know, you're not rich. (laughs) He says, in fact, what had been glorious is not glorious in this case because of the glory that surpasses it. Next verse. He says, for if what was fading away was glorious, what endures, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus, will be even more glorious. Next verse. He says, therefore, Having such a hope, we do what? We use great boldness. So now, under the law, under Moses' ministry, there wasn't that boldness. Because the way Moses' ministry was shaped, it brought condemnation. But that glory was supposed to fade away. A greater glory came. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. We beheld it. That's what John was saying in John chapter 1 verse 14. We beheld his glory. We saw him. We saw this man shine. And when we saw him shine, God told us, this is our beloved son. This is my beloved son. Hear him. We beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. So why did he say that Jesus' glory was full of truth? Because Moses' glory was lacking in truth. Are you getting this? 
if you read on, you will see him say, um, we, we use some um, boldness of speech. He says, not, in fact, next verse. It's the next verse. He says, not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face so that the sons of Israel could not look at the end of what was fading away. So what Paul is saying here is that every time you read Moses' writings, every time you see you read Moses' teachings, what you are looking at is a hidden truth, a mystery that is to be decoded. Are you getting this? Because he put a veil. Now, now, oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. You know, if you read the story, Exodus chapter 34, when Moses' face was shining, what did he do? He, fe- he veiled his face. He covered his face. You know what I mean? Like you, you see married people, when a woman wants to get married, she veils her face. Moses veiled his face. And Paul is saying that was symbolic of him denying people access to truth. He said, but not us. We, we speak with boldness. We say it as it is. We say it to our full chest. We're not going through the corners. Are you getting what I'm saying? The revelation that Jesus brought us is accessible to everybody. Praise the Lord. You know, so you read Jesus talk about Moses. And it seemed as if Moses knew something that every other person did not know. You know, Moses was not just prophet over Israel. He was the owner. Ah, For a time being, he was the owner. He did with Israel like he pleased. So when you see Jesus correct Moses' laws, you will see him say something like, Moses gave you these laws because of the hardness. Not God, Moses. <laughs> the Ten Commandments, we agree, came from God. But you see all the other 630 something laws? Moses. It took his time. It took his time. Sweet time. So Moses told them, don't marry from any other tribe. But he married from another tribe. Did it like a king. What do you want to say? He's Moses. <laughs> so he put a veil over his face and hid the truth from the people. Now, in Jesus, you know what? Next verse. He says, But their minds were closed, for to this day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. Listen, if you try to understand God from reading the Old Testament alone, you will fail. I'm telling you now, you will fail. Have you ever wondered why it looks like the Old Testament God and the New Testament God are different? It seems like the Old Testament God, he was just angry at all times. Then somewhere between Malachi and Matthew, he did therapy. (laughs) So Matthew introduced a calm God. You know, a God that when he wants to smite somebody with thunder, he will ask himself, what would Jesus do? The reason why it seems like there is an apparent disparity between the natures of the God in the Old Testament and the God in the New Testament is because the God in the Old Testament was veiled. Did you know that they attributed a lot of things to God? The ones he did, the ones he didn't do, they just said it wasn't God did it. So you are reading the um, the Old Testament and you're reading 1 Samuel and you say that an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Do you know how ironic that statement is? So he says, till this day, till today, as we're talking now, he says, rem- at, um, for to this day, go back, please, <laughs> please, for to this day, at the reading of the old covenant, the same veil remains. He says, it is not lifted because it is set aside only where? In Christ. 
So Moses' veil was shredded by the glory of Christ. Are you getting what I'm saying? You will look to Moses to know God and you will find a mystery. When you turn to Christ, you see the revelation. Are you getting this? Next verse. It says, however, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil is over their hearts. Next verse. He says, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Next verse. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom to see. Freedom of revelation. Are you getting this? This does not mean that you are in your father's house, dance as you like, do as you like, because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Amen. What this scripture means is that under Moses, there was no freedom. You didn't have free access to revelation. You didn't know as you should know. You didn't see as you should see. So your interpretation and your understanding of God was limited to what Moses told you. Do you get this? Well, Christ came. And when he came, there was freedom. Philip said, show us the father. He said, look at me. I'm not hidden. I'm here in front of you. If you've seen me, you've seen the father. There's freedom. Where that spirit is, there is freedom. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Next verse. He now says, and we all with, and we all with unveiled faces are reflecting the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from which glory is this first glory? The glory of Moses, right? Remember that this is what he has been talking about. He has been comparing the glory of the Christ to the glory of Moses. So he says that as with unveiled faces, we are reflecting the glory of Christ and we are being transformed into the same image. That is the image of freedom that we see. We are moving from that image of slavery under the law, that image of condemnation. Remember he called it the ministry of condemnation. He also called it the ministry of death. That image of death, we are moving from that glory and where are we moving to? To the glory of the Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It says we all we are transformed from glory to glory. Now, this is an interesting thing because the writer of Hebrews, he, he sort of puts a full stop on this conversation. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2 to 3. Please. It says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom he has made the universe. Next verse. It says, everybody read this together. Want to go. He is the radiance of his glory. Hold on. So, Jesus is the shining forth of God's glory. Let me explain that to you. The sun has light. Is that true? Good. When you see the light of the sun, you say the sun is up. Is that true? The light of the sun is the radiance of the sun's glory. Are you getting this? So Jesus is the shining forth of the Father. Now, the Hebrew word for glory is, um, is it Ichabod? Or Kad? No. Kabod, kabod is the word. Um, kabod is the Hebrew word for glory. And it means weight, to carry weight. Now, that word means that the full weight of, the, the glory of a person is the full weight of the person. Not physical weight, but the influence of that person. Are you getting this? 
When the Bible says that Jesus is the shining forth of the glory of God, it means that Jesus is the full expression of the influence of God. All that God can do is Christ. Are you getting this? Mm-hmm. All that God is able to do is Christ. This is why Paul could say, if he, if he did not spare his son, how would he not also with him give you all things? Because the highest that God could have done is give Christ. That was all of God. Are you getting this? So, when you look to Jesus, look to him to know God. Don't look elsewhere. Ooh, praise the Lord. What Moses brought partially, Christ brought fully. Hallelujah. What Moses brought partially, Christ brought fully. And the revelation behind it is, you are not under Moses. You are under Christ. You are in Christ. There is a difference now. So what does this mean? How does this affect you? At least for one, it will change the way you pray. A lot of people still pray like we are under Moses. Or under the law. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. That's how many people pray. You know, there's a story um, in the book of Luke about these two, two men. They were known as the sons of thunder. That was a nickname. That was not their real name. But they were known as the sons of thunder because they were always upset. They were angry. They, they are always gingered. And so Jesus had sent out his disciples to preach. And these two young men went to a particular city. And then they tried to preach in that city. And those people chased them out of the city. They flogged them. Say, said, get out of this place. And these two men came out. They said, hey! With all my anointing, they just ridicule me like this. And they have not seen the best of me. They will know who I am. So they went to Jesus Christ. And they said, Jesus, we've come to report a matter to you. They said, we went to this city. And then we were preaching to them and they chased us out. They said, let us call down fire from heaven. So that they will know. And they said, fire should just speed them one or two times. When we go back there and preach the gospel, they will understand. And the Bible tells us that Jesus rebuked them. He didn't just say, no, no, no. He rebuked them. You know what a rebuke looks like? Stop it! Stop talking like that. He rebuked them. And this was what he said. He said, you don't know what spirit you are of. Now, this is the interesting thing. Whose story does their story remind you of? Which means that in rebuking them, he rebuked That you just, wow, just call that fire for that fire for. For what reason? He said, you don't know what spirit that you are of. And we see Jesus exhibit the true traits of the spirit on the cross. You know what it means to be on the cross. Your hands nailed. You're going through the most excruciating of which the word excruciating comes from the torture that was, um, that went on during crucifixion. You're going through the most excruciating pain that anybody can ever go through. And you still say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. 
No. Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you are of. The spirit that you are of does not behave like this. Under the law, an eye was for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus said that under, the, under my own, where I come from, the real revelation of the God that I serve, the one I represent, if they slap you on this cheek, turn the other one. How many times should we forgive? Moses said, we can forgive this number of times. Jesus looked and said, forgive 70 times, 7 times. Start from there. So if you understand the real logos of God, if you see the true revelation of God, it will affect the way you act. It will affect the way you act. Jesus told the parable to illustrate this. A man was forgiven. He was owing $10 million. And he was forgiven of his debt. But there was somebody owing, somebody else who was owing 10,000 naira. And he threw this man in jail. And many of us look, read that story and we're like, ah, how can somebody who was owing 10 million and they forgave him, put somebody that's owing 10,000 in jail? You are very wicked. But you do the same. You do the same thing. You were forgiven all your iniquities plus the ones you are still committing. And yet, you have people in your life that you cannot let go of. And some of them did to you what you have done to other people. If you truly see the logos of God, you will learn to behave like God. It's the truth. In the Old Testament, they had no control. They hadn't seen God. They didn't know who he was. And what we admire the most about Old Testament prophets is the thing that Jesus rebukes the most about them. Because what we admire the most about Old Testament prophets is the most carnal side of them. So Elisha was walking through Festa town. And these 42 children, they started shouting. But look at his head. Why don't you have head here, sir? Can we ask you, what's, hap- what's happening with your head? Why are you bored? Where did all your hair go? And Elisha was upset. I mean, he was beside himself. Thank God he was not alive in this Twitter generation. Because they have already called, uh, uh, you're a very stupid person. You will not go and work on your hair problems. You are here preaching, you are, you are deceiving people. That's what they would have said to him. I mean, Elisha was beside himself with anger. And so what did he do? He cursed these 42 children and two she-bears came out from the woods and devoured all of them. And a lot of people think that when they read that, they're like, ah, Agbara, ah. And they think that God is sitting in heaven like, that's my boy. God is like, ah. Why are you like this? But, but when we, power as of old, descend down, power, power as of the prophets of old. You don't get it. And you hear a lot of people pray like that today. Anybody occupying my position, where I'm supposed to be, what are you waiting for? Fall down and die because of what? Because of your position. Because of promotion. It doesn't matter to you whether the person that's occupying the place is a Christian or let us even assume that they are demon-possessed. I mean, mad people like the madman of Gederinus. Chained, breaking their chains, they occupy your position. What did Jesus do? Did he at any point look at the master? No, no, no. No, no, no. No, no, no. You will jump seven times and die. 
Did he do that? Listen. Let me tell you something that you need to understand now. Listen. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Ah, but pastor, you don't know what this woman in my village, she has been doing. See, it's very simple. It's not against, see, your prayer for her is simple. Let her come to know Christ Jesus. Now, the beautiful thing about where we are in Christ is that we are untouchable. Jesus walked into the synagogue. The Bible says he walked into the synagogue and those who were demon oppressed started to shout. The man of Gedarene saw him coming from afar. He shouted, what have you? Why? Why? What is it? Why are you coming to torment us? What is it? So I would rather go the Jesus way. I would rather be so full of the spirits that people who are possessed by devils are uncomfortable around me. And I'm not praying, Lord, everybody plotting against my life in the west, in the east, in the north, in the south, by air, by water, by land, by fire, die. What is it? Where did you see that in the Bible? As a rule, if you don't see the prayers in the epistles and the, the, the thing has not been covered, the teaching has not been covered, don't pray it. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Ah. The person that stole my bucket. Hmm. The person that stole mm, your left breast. I've heard that one before. <laughs> and then you will come back with that dirty mouth. I leave my hands. <laughs> Put your hands down. <laughs> if you truly glimpse the logos of God, you will act like God. You will start to... Sorry. That's why he said, we all with unveiled faces, as we behold in a glass the glory of God. He says, we are transformed into that image. So we used to be like this, but as we are looking at who God is, we're like, oh, this is a better place to be. We're transformed. We are moving from that glory, where it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We're going this way. Another thing that an understanding of the logos of God will teach you is grace. It will teach you to treat people with grace. A lot of Christians don't understand this. You can't forgive much unless you understand that you have been forgiven. It's the truth. Some of us think that we have a genuine reason to hold on to the hurt that other people have hurt us. And say we will never forgive you. That if you know what this person did to me. Now you are saying that because you don't realize that there was a debt that you owed that somebody else paid. Because if you realize it, you'll be like, there's nothing anybody will do to me. You see, people gather. And look, look, I understand the temptation to pray those type of prayers. You see, people gather that in the name of Jesus, every Boko Haram terrorist, they will fall down and die in Jesus' name. Look, listen, I understand the temptation. But if they prayed that prayer in the early church, Paul would have been dead. Do you realize? And if Paul was dead, you won't have your Bible. You won't know anything Jesus did for you as a Gentile. Paul was the one apostle that reached out to us Gentiles. You better know it now. But Paul was not a terrorist like that. Oh, he was. Oh, ha ha. You know how. In this age and time, people go from house to house doing evangelism. 
Yeah, Paul did it, except that his own evangelism was to kill people. He just knocked on the door. Hello, are, are, are there Christians in this household? How many of them are Christians? Three of you. So you guys are not Christians. Boys, these three are Christians. Kill them. That was what Paul did. Like, when he killed so much, the Christians ran away from... You know how bad you have to be? That a race of people, a sect of people, run away from an entire city because of you. They ran away from the city and ran to Damascus. Then Paul went to the high priest and collected a letter. That I want to go to Damascus. Please give me a letter. So as I'm traveling, they stop me. I'll just say, the high priest sent me. I want to kill people. That's who Paul was. Who? Yes. That's who he was. Some people say that that's when he was Saul. His name, not, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Paul is just a Greek rendition of the name Saul. He's, he was still Paul at that time. He was Paul the killer. He now turned to Paul the apostle. <laughs> imagine, imagine if, if they prayed those kind of prayers. That Lord, every person tormenting my life torments them. Lord, every person tormenting me torments them. Now, second thing, imagine if after Paul was converted, he now entered the church. Like, hmm, hmm, hmm. And you know, Paul's conversion was very, it was, it was crazy. Because after he was converted, he started preaching. So just imagine, and I want to use a very sensitive issue now, that you come to church on Sunday, and you see the very man that assaulted you, standing here, preaching the gospel. He's a changed person. How would you respond? You say, ah, I'm not going to this church again. And this was Paul. <laughs> Listen, the response that God demands from us to the gospel is as extreme as the gospel is. It's difficult because, ah, Kai, that's something that you just want to slap. I've forgiven you, but come close. <laughs> but on the other hand the response that God demands is as extreme as the gospel is when you see the logos of God when you truly glimpse God you know a lot of people think that you, you've truly glimpsed God when you walk with spiritual things and listen very carefully it is true that there is a part of growing as a Christian that involves skill in handling spiritual things. But see, as much as that part is important, this other part is important. When you glimpse God, it has to transform you to look like him. It does. You cannot truly tell me that you have seen God if you cannot forgive. If you cannot love. This is what John said. He said, how can you tell me that you love God whom you have not seen when you don't love your brothers who you see? You cannot tell me that you have truly seen God if you haven't learned to forgive, if you haven't learned to treat people with grace, if your prayers don't reflect the grace that God gives you. You know, some people will say, but pastor, why is it that when the powers, these powers, um, when the, in the Old Testament, they will call down fire and it will come down. It's like this. The power of God is, is dependent on the situation you put it in. It's like I give you a key, the key to your house. If an robber steals the key and he tries to open the door, will the door open? The door will still open, but that's exactly what the power of God is like. Oh, 
it can be abused. Men of God abuse it till today. Head of a man of God, he came up to preach. And then he came up to preach and then he was saying, um, settle down in Jesus' name, let us pray. And then he was praying and as he was praying, some of the people that were in the audience were chatting, some people were pressing their phones, some people were just talking as people do, irresponsibly, um, at times like that. And then he finished praying um, and then he said, um, let all eyes that were closed be open and let all eyes that were open be closed. And some people went blind instantly. It's an abuse, oh. It's, ah, power. Don't celebrate that. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Some people will come and share testimony with you that somebody crossed me and I told him, you don't cross a man of God. As I'm speaking to you right now, he's dead. Are you expecting me to shout glory? What response are you expecting from me that, wow, praise God? Are you okay? Are you, are you normal? <laughs> If you share that kind, I will rebuke you on the spot. They go and raise him back. That power that killed him, put him back, raise him back from you. Because what is wrong with you? Because he crossed you. Who are you? You've been crossing God since I have not died. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I will end with this. Jesus was about to be arrested. And one of his disciples, Peter, the same one that cost Ananias and Sapphira. He took his sword and he cut off the ear of the Roman soldier. Remember I told you, Jesus reveals God. Not just in the things he said, but in the things he did. And in that moment, Jesus could have looked at Peter and done a nice one. At least if they want to kill me, let somebody suffer first. Which is what most of you would have done. What did Jesus do instead? He picked the guy's ear and put it back. See, if you notice the trend of teaching, there has been a call to your a call to awaken to the knowledge of who Christ is, and that's important. But see, let me tell you something. If you will truly awaken to who Christ is, you must see the effectiveness of his work in your life. Praise the Lord. You must learn to see the effectiveness of the work of Christ in your life. You can't tell me you have known God if your entire life is dependent on the, valid, um, on the validation of other people. You don't really know God. When you see God, I, when you see God, the Bible's, um, there's that song that says that the things of this world will grow strangely dim. You can't tell me you know God. If your entire life is spent in pursuit of money, I must be wealthy. I must be. And listen, I think it's important to make money. Make no mistakes. Because, number one, the work of God needs funding. And it's, it's not angels that we fund. It's you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It needs fun and it's you that will fund it. You and me. So, I think it's important to make money. But there is a love for money that is unhealthy. When you look to Christ, that love will die. When you glimpse Christ in scripture, that love will die. That's unhealthy. 
passion for material things that will make you go as far as you want. Like you, you, you don't mind crossing lines as long as you get what you want. Look truly to Jesus today. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Look truly to Jesus today. I want us to do some form of introspection this morning. I want you to bow your heads where you are. And I want you to look to Jesus. Say to Jesus, I choose your way. I choose to do things like you will do them. Thank you because your ministry is more effective than the ministry of Moses. Which means that I am no longer under condemnation. Nothing condemns me. The Bible tells me that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says so. And so Lord, I will not live under condemnation. I choose to see that your sacrifice was efficacious for the forgiveness of my sins. Go ahead and pray. Go ahead and pray. And so, Lord, I might have been distracted and I might have looked elsewhere. I might have looked to other places to get my revelation of you. I might have looked to other places for the meaning of my life. But today, Jesus, I refocus on you. I choose to see you as my source. I choose to see you as the one that that defines who I am. I choose to see myself like you see me. In Jesus' name we have prayed. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.